Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six is the number to call. The text of the WhatsApp O H three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Email for the show opinion at ninety six fm dot ie. Twitter at opinion line ninety six. Of course, message us through Facebook using the Corks ninety six fm Facebook page. Mark your messages for the attention of the opinion line. I want to go back to eight days ago, which was the eighth. Of October, this is the 16th of October. Eight days ago, this was the Chief Medical Officer Tony Holohan. All of the indicators, even in the short number of days since three days ago, all of the major indicators of this disease have gotten worse. That is eight days ago. This is the modeler, the Chief Modeling Advisor to NEFIT, uh, Professor Philip Nolan, and what he said last night. The recently introduced measures will not yet have had an effect. If they have no effect, um, we uh, are looking at uh, somewhere between um, 1,800 and uh, 2,200 cases per day uh, by the 31st of October and over 400 people in hospital by that date. Now that's a colossal prediction and people are already accusing Dr. Nolan of scaremongering. Let me tell you that it's only two weeks ago he was saying a thousand a day. Yesterday we had 1,205 confirmed cases nationally, 173 cases in Cork. Our 14-day numbers today, the 16th of October, our 14-day numbers for Cork City and County, 1,000 272, which is a per 100k figure of 254, which is colossal. And there you see the one in the Cork South Central Ward, our local electoral area. The Cork South Central Ward has over 500 cases per 100,000. Go back a month, the whole city and county had 67 cases. Go back to August 26. Go back to July 15. Go back into the heart of the lockdown. 16th of April with 641. We have double, pretty much double the numbers now that we had during the heart of the lockdown. And yes, that's because things opened up and we got back to some semblance of normal. But it'll give you some idea of the seriousness of the numbers. And again, Dr. Holohan said last night, pretty much said, without using the the 
exact words. We are now at a point where COVID-19 is almost out of control. We get to a certain point and we're, we're, we're absolutely at that point where the scale of infection in the population is simply beyond a, a, a capacity of any level of resourced contact tracing process, where we're simply not going to be able to map and contact trace. We have what we call widespread community transmission and large portions now of the cases that were, are, are being identified and we're not able to make the links. Daily Mail has a story this morning claiming an exclusive from their political man John Lee saying that Neffet, no one's seen the letter that Neffet wrote after yesterday's meeting except John Lee claims to have had sight of it dramatically advising the government to put the whole country into level 5 now and leave it there for anything up to six weeks to try to bring this thing under control and before anybody accuses me of scaremongering don't you even start I'm scared, I am scared. I'm scared for me. I'm scared for my friends. I'm scared for my loved ones. I'm scared for my mom. I'm scared for everybody I know right now. So I don't need anyone scaremongering me. So don't even go there. Well, so I'm hoping to talk to this man during the week. I've got him now. Seamus O'Connor, the principal of Skullvreda in Crosshaven. Uh, Seamus, good morning. First of all, are you okay? Were you, were you a, a, um, a suspected case? Good morning. Good morning, sir. Thank you, aren't you? It's Friday, although yeah. we seem to be saying that a lot, don't we? Um, um, do you know what, PJ? I only ever seem to talk to you when I have a problem, so I apologise <laughs> for that. That's a talk. That's a talk. <laughs> um, no, I, I was a close contact. I was designated close contact on Tuesday, so I'm self-isolating at present. So luckily I got the call this morning, literally about 15 minutes ago that I am negative. Um, so I, there's a huge sense of relief for that, you know. That's good. And you had to close the school. Why did the school... Now, we have 200 students down in Skull Reed. Why did you have to yeah, close? I suppose I've spoken to you before with 229 children um, and we've eight classrooms. And we have, at present, we, so we've eight classroom teachers and we have two SNAs and two learning support teachers and myself. So we're a relatively small unit, you know. Um, on Monday, we had one of our one of our staff was confirmed positive and that took out two teachers, an SNA, a sub who we had in sight and it also took out three children as close contacts, okay. And then on Tuesday, we had a second confirmed case at 10 past four which was myself and another teacher, the deputy principal. So at that point, at 10 past four on Tuesday, PJ, we had five teachers, the principal, two SNAs, three children, and then 29 junior infants um, were all deemed close contacts. So at that point, we'd, uh, you know, uh, look, the children and the school community is my priority, PJ. So the reality was, with those numbers and that many people close contact, you'd have to wonder how many other cases potentially could have been in the school. Also, at that point, we had to find five class teachers and the school was to open the next day. As you know, there's a sub shortage at best. Trying to find subs for the rest of the week in the middle of the week is difficult. If you can block book them kind of a week in advance for the next week, you go hope. Um, and as it was, we did make efforts to try and see, but it would have been very difficult to open the next day PJ without the principal there, without the deputy principal there, with five staff members out, no SNAs. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It was just, it was untenable. And we also had the concern as well, look, that, you know, there's a human element to it as well, PJ, that a lot of people, until they're actually de- designated or walk with somebody who has been designated as being COVID positive. I mean, my own staff were in a bit of shock at that point, particularly when the, sec- the news of the second case came through. And um, these are two individuals who are very close to us, who are a very small unit, as I said, and they would have been walking amongst us. And then there was a fear factor for all of us, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think the big fear, Seamus, and this is speaking purely personally now, the big fear of this is the unpredictability. You're there going, have I got a positive 
test. Okay. Well, I can isolate myself. I can do all the things I'm told. But how sick am I going to get? And how do I know how sick I'm going to get? And the fact is, you don't. You don't. And that's correct. And I mean, from both of my staff members, I mean, look, you have to give massive credit to them as it transpires, as the week has unfolded. And all of us, all of the close contacts who have been tested and we have to all do a second test, PJ, um, have come out negative. Good, so, I mean, good, it's, good. it's a huge issue, a compliment to them that they haven't actually passed it to the rest of us. And equally, it's a compliment to the rest of the staff that our processes and, and practices in the school seem to have held up that we haven't actually contracted it from them or, or passed it to each other, you know. So that's the first thing. But I suppose from an unpredictability standpoint, there's a lot of things we can't control at this point in a school. You've, you know, you've so many children, like for every... This is the kind of the thing as well that, you know, you see numbers and so forth in the department or... or and at this point, Department of Education, I'm assuming public health as well, to be fair, there's an element of fatigue they're dealing with this since February. We only dealt with this. We've been prepping for this. We've had scenario-based conversations and we put them into play and that was fine. However, it only really, this all became very live for us with the first case was confirmed at 12 o'clock on Monday. And then you're looking at 230 faces and you're looking at the multiply that by two by the number of families or sorry, parents involved, let alone the siblings, you know. So from an unpredictably, we can't control at that point, at Tuesday for 10 past four when the second case was confirmed, we didn't know who else may or may not have be positive or who might be mingling with the rest of our children. You know, there could be children in there, there could be other adults. We just had to close the school and take control of the control was at that point, you know. Yeah. Is it sustainable to reopen on Monday? You're going to try anyway, aren't you? Well, we did try for today, PJ, but again, um, I, I'd be straight with you. You're, you we've had to release out one of the teachers as well that's left so that she can be acting principal. She's part of the middle management team. So we have now placed for for Monday, we have four teachers um, for the week. We also have two SNAs for the week. So we have six replacement staff, want a better phrase. Um, so it is sustainable for us to open. We just needed the time. Look, as well too, you, you know, you're, you, you're a parent yourself and you wouldn't want any, any teacher just being fired in with no support and no principal no. there. You know, in no. fairness, everybody needs guidance. And equally, you know, how hard is it to walk into a school as a substitute teacher when you're aware that there have been two um, positive cases in that school, okay? So I would like to genuinely thank the, the teaching community in Cork because obviously we our, our story got out um, Tuesday evening and that was fair. Uh, and we got received a number of emails from people who were offering to sub in the school over the next few days. But again, when you start to contact them independently and say, can you work on Friday? No, I'm in another school on Friday, but I can work next week. You know, that kind of scenario was playing out, you know. So we did try to open today. It just wasn't feasible. Also, look, to be fair, number of the, the non, the, there were six, six teaching staff, six members of staff left, right? Um, who aren't Dean's close contacts, but I suppose they've gone about trying to see could they get tested as well because what we really want to do is everybody to walk in on Monday knowing that they're not asymptomatic, asymptomatic yeah. positive, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, how have the parents been, Seamus? You know, tremendous, yeah, yeah tremendous. I, I think there was a shock, bit of a shock factor and I think for a lot of people this is their first touch, uh, real touch with the actual COVID virus um, and I think when they were informed that, you know, members of staff who were walking in between and, in, you know, or walking around the, the classrooms with their children. I think that, you know, there was a realisation there that we had to do something fairly uh, promptly to to at least um, eradicate any potential for further spread, you know. So, look, everybody has been hugely um, positive towards what we've done and I think they're slightly surprised that we are opening one day. I think maybe they, a lot of them may have thought we were going to have to stay closed until after Halloween, you know. But, mm-hmm. again, a, a local parent, Sarah O'Connell, who has a cleaning company, she came in on, on herself and her husband came in on Thursday they literally um, 
I suppose sanitise the entire school again. Fantastic. But I mean, we had we had Dean clean the school Monday night and Tuesday night, and we have on site, you know, the um, I call them the cleaning bombs, the sterilising bombs they yeah. use in hotels that you release. So we did that Monday night and Tuesday night. But look, just as a third precaution, we we sterilise the school thoroughly um, with mm-hmm. um, particular sprays, you know. You know, with the numbers the way they are now, and clearly, uh, Doctor. Holohan and Dr. Nolan and Dr. Glynn very, very worried. And you know, is it and even if we go into level five, the plan is to keep schools open. Is is that possible, do you think, Shane? Well well to to be fair, PJ, my wife is a nurse and um I remember when this broke first on the twelfth of March the schools closed that week we were doing our wheels because obviously she was getting ready, she was prepping to go into ICU. So the reality is that uh, from our side of things you know, in fairness, the healthcare system have been our last line of defence against this, and I think they've done a fabulous job, you know, mm-hmm. individuals. Education seems to be the last line of defence for the economy at this point, and I think that needs to be recognised nationally. Every time, last week when um, there was talk, you know, it, it, there was a discussion about schools might be closing again early for the midterm, and there was a lot of media commentators who, who you know, who, who drove this whole thing, the teachers are being lazy again, trying to protect themselves. I can tell you no member of my staff this week wanted to close the school, but equally we were afraid for ourselves and I think we're entitled to that. And we're also afraid not to pass something to children, you know. Yeah. Now, is it sustainable to keep schools open? It possibly is. However, there needs to be, I, I've said it before, like we, we, we just need the subs and the availability of subs to, in, in the event that a teacher or two are sick is, is paramount. Because look, particularly in our school, look, you know, every day, you know, and I know, we have little sore throats and this and that, and we're, we're tending to try and press on anyway, regardless, which we shouldn't. Um, and that, and, and as, a, as a staff, we're not. But, you know, it's even going to be more impactful now if you have any form of a symptom, you're absolutely not going to go in. And schools are going to find it very hard to stay open if they can't um, class uh, resource the, the classes properly. So that is going to be, can I just say, that is going to be the biggest thing for schools going forward. If, this, if we are all going for level four or level five and if schools stay open, we will do our job. We will stay open. We will protect the children. However, there needs to be some out-of-the-box thinking in relation to how schools are resourced with subs. And one way to do it, PJ, as I said, look, we've eight classes, which is one stream. We should tomorrow be allocated an additional teacher. So at least we have a sub on site, okay? So if somebody goes sick, we have a floating teacher who can assist and they're there for the next morning. And at least if you have one class secured, if two or three teachers are out, you, you know, you can use your, your SET teachers, your learning support teacher. But again... But you, if, you, that, if that was done tomorrow, that would be huge. You're getting into the area of taking a chance on close contact and spread if we someone's are, out. We are, and that's correct. And I mean, the reality is we, we, we as a school, we have all of our procedures in place and we believe we follow them. Um, you know, I, I've had this discussion with you. We didn't have clear guidelines at the start when we opened and, and our school, we opened, we acquired a, um, the Ayrton Group, a health and safety group to support us and we felt very encouraged by that and I think that it looks like a lot of our processes have stood up. It's just an anomaly and a an unf- hugely unfortunate thing that two of our staff members have contracted mm-hmm. COVID. Um, and you've, you've, done, you've done the, the, the right thing and, and there's great credit due to you. Just one last thing there, Seamus. You, you dropped in a very, very human line when you mentioned that your wife is a nurse, that you've actually, in, in preparing to deal with this, on the front line, you guys actually updated your wills. That's the level of concern. Uh, of course, yeah. And I mean, the reality is, you know, 
without being overly dramatic and, and probably today is the day because you know we have to be trying to be positive but I mean you know for, for my wife if she if she is asked to walk into the COVID ward and the ICU ward you're, you're walking into the equivalent of a nuclear reactor that's the reality you know um, and we're conscious of that and I suppose you know there's, there's a fatigue level for the medical care services at this point that has been overlooked as well and there's a human element and as I keep saying um, when I was contacted by stakeholders this week in relation to why we closed and so forth like I'm the person that has to have the conversation with my two staff members who are currently ill in relation to how can we support them with care of their own children and so forth Are they okay so, by the way? How are they? They're okay they're, it's, it's like a bad flu at the minute and hopefully it won't get any worse than that um, and, uh, but I mean to be fair we're in contact with them and we're trying to support them as best as we can there is just there needs to be a focus again on the human element. I think uh, from there's, there's a huge amount of vitriol over keep schools open, don't keep schools open. If schools close, the economy is screwed and so forth, and that's fair. Okay. However, there needs to be an eye on the ball here that for schools to be open, you're talking about a hundred thousand teachers who are, you know, they are at risk at the end of the day. You know, we're not able to work in a in a controlled environment with appointments only or, you know, in our own desk, in our own home and so forth. And, and we are willing to do the work, don't worry. And it is imperative that children are back to school, PJ. I don't want anyone to come to, to listen to me and think I'm saying, you know, we need to shut schools. It's, it, I'm actually at the opposite sphere. I, I do believe the schools open is a hugely positive thing for the children. And children are imperative, you know, they are the imperative. But we have to be able to do it safely. And one of the ways to include, in, in, ensure the schools are safe is we have ample staff power so that it's a staff member who are not feeling well. They have the, the luxury is the wrong word, but they have the safety element that they know that they can stay out because right. their class will be minded that day. All right, listen, Seamus, I hope that your two staff members make a full and complete recovery without complication and that everybody else stays safe in Skullvrida in Crosshaven. Thank you very much. That's their principal, Seamus O'Connor. 1850 Just before I go to the break, there's lots of comments have come in with regard to my opening remarks. Um, Ruth says, why aren't you talking about the recovery rate? You're just adding to the scaremongering by omitting it. I guess you just love the drama, says Ruth. I ignore that, Ruth, but what I will, and I have, to be fair, I haven't given the recovery rate in a while. And there's a reason for it, because it's much slower. The recovery rate comes through much slower. They're not great at giving it here now, to be fair. But I go to the ever-reliable NCOVID-19 live website, which I spoke to the young kid, the magnificent young kid who devised this website, Avi Schiffman. I spoke to him in the very early days of the pandemic on Skype and how he put all the various data sources together into what's basically an app that you can grab all the information as of 17 minutes ago, which is the last time he updated the site. There are 39 million 202,300 confirmed cases of COVID-19 since this started. 71,000 people are still critically ill. 1.1 million have died. There are around 9 million active cases. 28,900 people have recovered entirely from COVID-19 globally. So 39 million confirmed cases, 29 million have recovered entirely from COVID-19. Now, that's not nearly everybody. It's quite a number. And most people do recover. But it's the unpredictability of who will and who won't. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. 
Going from one school to another in just a sec, but uh, Claire in West Cork is wondering why aren't we talking about the GAA recommencing inter-county games tomorrow? It's absolute madness and it's wrong on so many levels. So many other sporting bodies are doing the right thing and suspending fixtures. Well, that's right. You've got players now going up and down the country in their cars or in extra buses for social distancing. So I can't go down to visit my friends, say, in Killarney this weekend. My best friend lives in Killarney. I, I, I can't go down to visit him this weekend because I can't leave my county. But if I want to play a match up at the back end, up in Donegal, like, which is rampant at the moment, or up in Cavan or Monaghan, any of these places, I can get in my car and drive. 1850-715-996. It's insane. Uh, it's time for the GA now to cop on, take a big dose of cop on with their morning tea and just suspend thing again. 1850-715-996. Can people stop calling you a scaremonger? If they don't want to listen, tell them stream music instead. No, 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 no. I don't mind being called names. That's that's fine. It's part of it. D says, you're right. We should be terrified. The elephant in the room is real and deadly. I'm so glad Seamus of the school are okay. And Kevin makes the point on the Twitter about the recovery rate. And you're right, Kev. Of those millions who have fully recovered, nobody knows if they'll suffer uh, long-term conditions later in life directly linked to this. And that is so true. People are making a full recovery only to discover maybe months later that they've had long-term damage done to their lungs, their heart, other parts of their body. So the recovery rate ain't as reliable as it's made out to be. Another school I said was coming up and there's a Cork school first in the country to offer teachers weekly COVID tests with results available in just 15 minutes. They're just up the road from us here. Michal Landers is the principal at Bruce. Michal, good morning. Good morning, PJ. This is interesting. This is an antigen test. How does it work? So uh, the staff are offered weekly tests. It's a, it's a rapid test. Uh, we're working with the Rocco Group uh, for the last uh, six weeks. And uh, the benefits of this, obviously, are that student, uh, teachers... I received the results back within 10 to 15 minutes. So there's a technology part that complements the test as well, where every member of staff has an app and the results are updated um, on the app. And I believe the Rocco Group are developing that so that it can be used in different scenarios to complement uh, um, testing that's already out there and social distancing and all the healthcare measures that we're supposed to be taking. I'll ask you in a minute about how the school got involved because I'm fascinated. Mm-hmm. But just on, on the test for a sec, we know the standard test is the two swabs, one the back of the throat, one the back of the nose. Not mm. the most pleasant experience, if not painful mm. at all. But you'd be waiting a few hours to a couple of days to get your result. How does mm. this one work? So, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to talk about things I'm not qualified to talk about, but my understanding of how Have it works... Have you had the test? Oh, I've had the test. So, therefore, yes, you know I, what it I, was, Yeah, what it I is. mean, the test effectively... Uh, there was two tests uh, initially. There was a um, serological test, which is a blood test for antibodies to show whether per person may have had it in the past and a separate test which is a swab around the nose um, for uh, antigens to show whether you actually have it at the moment so uh, it's it's it, you I mean it's a matter of minutes and and yesterday I did the test um, within 10 minutes I had my results back 10 minutes 10 minutes yeah 
Like that's something that we should be able to get done everywhere, really, rather than waiting 24 to 36 hours. It's well, uh, yeah, I mean, the World Health Organization say test, test, test. I just read recently myself that the U.S. government have uh, purchased 150 million of these uh, tests off one particular uh, company. Um, the Department of Education initially have purchased 5 million of these tests. The World Health Organization has purchased millions of these tests for use as well. So um, it, I feel uh, it's something that we um, were delighted to be able to offer to our staff along with everything else that we are doing. Mm. So as you know and your listeners know, uh, no test is going to replace the precautions that we have to take. So we as a school, have done things very, very differently in the way we conduct our normal school week compared to what we did before the pandemic. Um, so we are recording all our classes and making that available to students online if they can't come to school. Uh, we are, you know, staggering our start times and our finishing times. Um, and along with the testing and along with the hand hygiene and the protocols and the one directional systems, it's something like I would describe it as a belts and braces system. And you know, no single test is going to replace those things, whether it be the PCR testing or the antigen testing. But it's very reassuring mm-hmm. uh, to have this done and for our staff to have it available to them. How did Bruce get involved in this programme? So um, I heard uh, Robert Quirk uh, speak about this, and he is the, the founder of the Rocker Group uh, on radio. And I thought it was a great idea. Um, I looked up the kind of um, information. I found out information about antigen testing. And I, I contacted Robert and I said, look, we would be delighted to partner uh, with them and uh, to pilot this and to be helpful to them in, uh, you know, putting this together and they're testing it out. And, and, and um, also it was very good for our staff and a part of the whole uh, system that we have in the school to, to um, make the place as safe as possible for everybody. It's great, great programme. You've got a couple of weeks left in it, yeah? Yeah, uh, the intention is to keep it going for the next three or, or, or four weeks. And uh, look, I have to say, uh, the Rocker Group, the way they've done everything, are highly professional. Um, it's, been, it's been excellent, and, and I think it's, it's the way forward. Okay, do you think, I asked the same of, of, of Seamus down in, in Crossaven, do you think that if the numbers keep going as they are, and we do end up at level four or five, is it sustainable to keep schools going? Uh, I think the f- probably the first major impact would be with staff. Um, and I was interesting listening to Seamus speak. Uh, if staff members cannot come in, uh, well, then the options for school to stay open will be limited. Um, so, for example, in our school, what we've done, and we've been lucky so far, uh, if, if a member of staff was unable to come in uh, with some possible symptoms, um, we're able to live broadcast them into into the school uh, so we can keep people safe but we can continue classes so we've we've had to be I suppose innovative in trying to keep the school going um, but in the long term based on you know listening to you this morning and, and you know you're highlighting the facts uh, PJ um, you know I, my biggest concern would be if staff members were to become ill uh, so we, we, we have got around that to a certain extent but if that goes beyond a certain number I would see I'd see it being a struggle to keep schools open. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for that. Michal Landers, principal of Bruce.
College. I forgot to ask him about the cost of the test. I'm assuming that's all been covered by the Roku group there. Maybe check that. We can maybe check that off air. Give him a call back, Fergal. Maybe see what that is. Silly me. I forgot to ask him about the cost of it. But it's it's a quick test. It's an experimental test. Uh, the American government have bought something like 150 million of them. It gives a result in 15 minutes. The, the swab test that's being done in all the various test centres, that started off being a few hundred quid a pop. I think it's gone cheaper now, but it's not cheap as chips kind of thing. Can I get a figure on how much that test costs if we can? 1850 996 What is the profile of the people who are positive? Is it young teenage students? Is it middle age? Is it old people? They did some interesting figures last night at the press conference in response to that. Huge numbers of young people, late teens, early 20s, late 20s into 30s, less. What they're particularly concerned about now is an increase in the last week in the over 65s. Once you go into the over 65s, you're getting up into the 70s, up into the into the into the 80s to the really really vulnerable. It's gone up in the over 65s, and that's what's worrying them. That is what's worrying them. Ronan Glynn actually made a point last night about people who are feeling a little bit woolly and a little bit iffy and are thinking, ah, no, sure, it's not Corona, it's not. I'm going to go into work. I'll be grand. He had a message. We're still getting report after report of employees ringing up their GP while they're in work saying that they've got symptoms. We made a very specific appeal to employers uh, a number of weeks ago to facilitate employees to work from home. But equally, employers and employees need to be aware that it's just simply not acceptable this winter to be coming to work with cold and flu-like symptoms. There you go. That's as blunt as it gets. 1850-715-996. Just a few more comments before I go to a break. I was out about yesterday. I heard these people complaining about having to have a coffee outdoors. They said, this is no good. From now on, we'll need to meet up in one of our homes and do it on the QT. I don't blame PJ for being afraid. Without enforcement, the government's actually driving things into more uncontrolled, more underground situations with no law whatsoever. Well, as of last night... As of last night, you simply cannot have any visitors to your home. No visitors will be allowed to homes or gardens, although exemptions like providing care will be allowed, and this will be made clear. In outdoor settings away from home and garden, up to six people from no more than two households can meet outdoors while maintaining social distancing. No visits to your home except it's essential. Essential work like a plumber, essential work like an electrician, essential... Things like bringing your, your mom her dinner, essential stuff like getting groceries for an elderly relative. You can do all that. You can do all that. But non-essential visits like coffee, which are buddy across the road, or a couple of cans of a Saturday night, which are made from two doors down, not allowed. Just don't be doing it. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Court's 96FM. Yeah, the executive research desk working to find out how much that antigen test actually costs per person. 1850-715-996. Now, actually, last night I was driving in I had to come in here to do a small bit of business in the evening time. And I passed a very well-known venue that is allowed to do this outdoor seating. It has capacity for outdoor seating. Now, that's got to be a limit of 15, and they've all got to be socially distanced. 
tell you something, I passed a place last night and there was far more than 15 there. They were nearly sitting on top of one another. And I'll tell you this, if you really need, if you need a pint so much that you're willing to dress up like Pat Falvey on the summit of Kilimanjaro to sit there and sip it, I'd be worrying about how much you actually need the drink. 1850-715-996. Very quickly, the, oh, the test that the US government purchased, 150 million of them, coming in about five bucks per test. Wow. Five dollars per test the American government has paid for these antigen tests. This seems like a no-brainer. Really does. 1850-715-996. Now, as we prepare to not visit anybody and not have anybody visiting us, I suppose it's not as easy on some as it is on others. We know it's not. Like, what's it like for a single parent family? What's it like for you if you live on your own? It's just you and a couple of kids. What support is there? Who can come in? Who can help? Who can get you through your day? Naomi, good morning. Good morning. Hi. Now, you have a 10-year-old. That's right, yeah. Um, And in response to your question, there's nobody. (laughs) There's, yeah, there's nobody that can come in and nobody that can come in and help if you need it. Yeah, we we live, our family live uh, many hours drive away. Um, Yeah, and I don't have close friends nearby. So, yeah, there's, yeah, if there's another lockdown, yeah, and right now no one can can come in, yeah. When we were all told in March to to stay home, what did you do? Mm -hmm. We stayed home, yeah. We followed the guidelines and the restrictions, yeah, and we just got through it. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's no other way to say it. Like, uh, and how hard was it? <clears throat> um, well, so I was finishing a master's, uh, and I was also supposed to be. Yeah, I tried my best to school my son from home, but very quickly I realised that I had to put everything else on hold, particularly my master's, because the most important thing was just to look after my son and my own mental health, basically, and well-being. Yeah. You know. So I just um, shelved the masters for a couple of weeks and uh, we got into a routine. We had a timetable of getting up at a certain time in the morning, doing our 2K exercise, um, watching Homeschool Hub, uh, having lunch. Um, yeah, we had a routine and a timetable. Um, but unfortunately, at the start of May, my son, yeah, a, a small thing happened <clears throat> on a walk where um and yeah as a result he's sorry i'm rambling there um okay. but anyway he's developed separation anxiety from me which is totally uncharacteristic for him and has never happened before um and that's continued all throughout the summer and it's still affecting him right now oh, so his yeah. mental health is suffering and you know then that's an extra thing to mm. try and be supporting him through Jeez. have you any yeah. idea where it came from Naomi? Yeah, so once the restrictions were lifted at around the start of May and uh, we were allowed to socially distance outside and go for walks with friends, um, for the month and a half before that, he, my son had been allowed freedom around the neighbourhood that he hadn't gotten before. So he was allowed, because it was so quiet and there was so little traffic, he was allowed to like go up to the local park without me and go on his bicycle. So um, at the start of May, we went on a walk with a friend of mine from college and we, it's kind of a circuit you could do here. We went from our house down to Black Rock Village. And when we got there, my son was on his bicycle and he went back the way we had come. And, and I told him that myself and my friend would walk the other way and we'd meet him back at the house. But as soon as we started walking, we realised we couldn't socially distance because the footpath was very narrow. So we went back the way we had come. 
And by the time I got home, my son had was distraught because he was waiting for me coming from the other direction and seeing me not coming. And yeah, and like he's a very independent guy, very always wants to do things that are bigger and older than what age he actually is. Mm. So it's really uncharacteristic. And so, yeah, I think that like I think that combined with covid in general what's going on in the world right now i think that made him really realize oh my god what if my mum wasn't here and that's continued for him even though uh yeah i'm trying everything (laughs) hopefully hopefully it's just a phase and and he will Mm. be okay they're they're saying it's in the papers this morning that letter from nefet wasn't published last evening at least they don't want it published so they did it in confidence to the ministers Something in there we think about bubbling, about selecting mm-hmm. somebody, a friend, yeah. a relative or somebody that can form, and they did this in New Zealand to great effect, that can form mm-hmm. a bubble with you, but you have nobody. Um, I don't really have anybody, so I'm quite, I'm, I'm reasonably good, well, I'm friends with my next door neighbour, like actually I have great neighbours mm-hmm. and we can chat outside, we live on a quiet cul-de-sac, so thank goodness we can like stand outside and say hello to each other and we did do that during the lockdown. Um, my next door neighbour, she's also a single parent, but she's in the vulnerable category. She's got two twins who are 14, so unfortunately, you know, sh- she's not p- able to be bubbling up with me because even at that, you know, it's more risky for her. Um, but so, yeah, all my good friends are not really in the city or or quite far away in the city, in other parts of the city. So it's kind of not really realistic for me, but I do know I have other friends around the country who have done that successfully as single parent families yeah and that, that's a great idea have, have you think, a sense of dread Naomi pardon have you a little bit of a sense of dread a little bit now yeah a little bit yeah and and I just really hope the schools stay open even though yeah I don't know just because going back to school was so good for my son's mental health you know it really yeah. helped him and so I really hope they if they close as well <laughs> As us being in these heavy restrictions, yeah, and with the time of year and the darkness, yeah, Mm. there is a sense of dread. There's one thing, actually, (laughs) and I'll bring Rachel in on on this point, because, Rachel, we spoke a couple of times, stay there, Naomi. Mm -hmm. I've been making the point for a couple of weeks, and and I think it's it's been driven home now by the fact that next weekend, what would have been the jazz weekend, is when the clocks go back, and it'll be dark at 6 o'clock. The long, dark evenings and the long, dark mornings are going to make it an awful, and the bad weather are going to make it an awful lot harder to stay indoors and stay out of people's way than than it was the last time. Rachel, we talked a lot about it uh, in the early mm. days. Are, yeah. are, are you filled with a kind of a sense of dread like Naomi is? Um, a kind of a mixture. Um, it's kind of like, I think Naomi, I have a bit more support than Naomi. I know Naomi um, and I know... Um, so I would have like a, a close friend and we've decided to stay virally mixed. So she's a single mom as well. Um, and she just on a really practical level, like even outside of COVID, if something happens to her, I'm minding her kid, you know, um, mm. and that's what we've kind of made a decision. We've talked about it. Um, and so I kind of, I have a couple of things going on. Um, do I have a dread? I think I am worried about the schools closing. PJ, like I, you know, um, like Naomi, it's been really good for my kids to go back to school. It's not just the maths, the English and the Irish, right? It really isn't. It's their community. They've got mm. gossip for me. They, they're full of beans, you know, they come back. And do you know what as well? They're really appreciative. 
Like, whereas before I might get like a couple of sentences out of them about school. Now they can't stop talking about it. (laughs) And Miss Durkin did this and then this happened and that happened and there's a sense of lightness to it. I'm worried about them. Yeah. Um, like being I'm very clear, it's not I'm saying about the schools, but we've well, had no, two, all, yeah. we've had two yeah. principals on this morning, both concerned, yeah. and yeah. even though right into level five it says, and I've got a copy of it in front of me, mm-hmm. right into level five yeah. it says they'll they'll keep the schools open where circumstances permit. That's right, mm. but I think what we're discovering is parents as well. And remember, I said to you during the summer that I kind of predicted it was going to happen, like the kids have been back to school, but we've had two weeks off already because of a very minor cold and then a bit of a sore throat and of course you have to be really cautious I have a sense that um, I have a sense of I wouldn't say dread, I have a word for you would you like it? Go on (laughs) I found a new emotion PJ Go on (laughs) You know my researching, a new word Akida Have you heard of it? Isn't that a beer that you can get in Turkey no? It probably is but it's also an ancient Greek emotion (laughs) <laughs> I mean it. I'm probably saying it. What, is it, what does it mean? What's it? Well, I, it's um. So basically, I was I was feeling the same. A bit of dread. I feel like I'm carrying this kind of tension continually. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I've adapted to a new normal, and that new normal is that I don't ever come back to feeling a hundred percent relaxed. I ah, can't remember. In Cork, we used to call that a heft. A heft. A heft. I never heard of a heft. Yes, a heft. You have a heft on you. I have done it. Yeah, exactly. So Akida is like basically it's an ancient Greek word. Then the monks took it up in the sixth century because they were like, it's that spiritual listlessness, isn't it? It's, yeah. Do you know that feeling when you're getting on with stuff, you're being brave, you're resilient, but deep down, there's why am I arsed? Is what you're saying. Why yeah, am I bothering? Yeah. yeah, but also it's it's kind of it's not depression. It's no. not. It's kind of in between resilience and. It's getting on with it, but there's nothing to look mm-hmm. forward to, is there? Yeah. There's no bit of stimulation. Mm-hmm. Like, when's the last time you had a gas chat with someone on the street who you're never going to meet again? Yeah. Like, that's what we're missing. We're missing, like, and at the moment it's super confusing. You can't see your close personal friends in the house, but you could go to a bar. It's, it's all over the place. Yeah. And I think that, like, for a lot of us, this, this, it's this new feeling. Yeah. I don't come back to a zero anymore. And the other day, my dog did something ridiculous. I rolled on the place laughing and I felt a release. And then I realized, I don't think, even with meditation and all of the stuff that I do, that I'm actually coming back down to zero. So we're living at about 20%. And I think that there's just a feeling of tension. Naomi calls it dread. You're calling it the heft. And now I'm calling it Akita. I'm Akita. saying it wrong, by the way. I swear I don't know how to say the word because it's a word I've read and I've never heard it's, it's of. It's a nice word. I, I, yeah. It, yeah. It's so, kind of what we're all experiencing. It's like a small Japanese it? car or a, or a Turkish beer, but, you oh, know. deep, dark emotion that we're all experiencing, PJ. <laughs> you know, it's something that's dragging us down. But the that's heft. kind of what I think we're trying to describe. Yeah. It's like we're not in control. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Isn't, that the, isn't that the fearsome part of it? Like when yeah. people are saying it's it's out of control and people like yeah. like Tony Holohan are saying it's out of control. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you feel a lot safer if he was just back telling us all what to do. He's trying his best. I know, and I kind of see the balancing and the government are worried about, you know, the economics of it. And, and and in reality, PJ, I've seen it even in the kids' activities. Do you know, I chose two activities because I knew I could trust the people to do it well. And they, they're they struggling. If they go into another lockdown, mm-hmm. like these small businesses won't come back, like, you know. No. 
So yeah. I'm very aware that there are really, really practical realities um, around economics, um, but then you're balancing that with public health. I mean, this is really unknown territory. Yeah. And like, I think that in the same way that the government and the health services are up in, like, l- let's be perfectly blunt. Of course, they don't know how to do this. They haven't had to do it before. Yeah. And we yeah. know that. So we know we can't 100% trust in the systems because they can't 100% trust what's happening. And we're all living with this, what Naomi is calling dread, but it's a tension that doesn't go away. So as we're approaching the dark winters, like PJ, I'm, I'm, I'm setting myself up. I have a new term for myself. I call it personal resilience as an essential service. <laughs> this is what I say in my head. I have all these mantras. And I went and bought an exercise bike. Um, I've got an online course that I'm doing. And I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to make sure that I take care of my mental health because I think this is the year where self-care as a kind of an item in a glossy magazine is no longer actually, is, is no longer going to work. Self-care is not about getting a massage and having a glass of wine. It's about making sure that when you catch yourself slipping, you pull yourself out, and especially mm-hmm. for mothers, especially for single mothers, because we're the fulcrum, we're the heart of this. We are our children's motivation and we're their positivity. And for the first time in my life, taking care of myself is not a luxury item. And I'm talking about my mental health. So when I go for a walk now, I don't care if I fit into my size 10 jeans anymore because there's no hope of that after lockdown. <laughs> I, I, it's not going to happen. I have to be honest. I'm having my good days where I'm doing the exercise and the meditation and I'm super positive. And then I have days where the box of heroes I got in Aldi's is gone, like, you know. I know. So, like, I think that we're learning really what it means to take care of our heads and it's not a joke anymore no, it's because not. we have to mind we have to mind ourselves i i leave you yeah. both with a yeah. line that there's a there's a thing i have a friend who's a therapist uh, yeah. and and whenever you go to see her even if you only meet her for coffee rather than right. going to actually consult she leaves you with one lovely line mind you Definitely. there's only one you yeah i love that and i think I it's like very it important for us all i do as well well, good luck, Hi. Naomi. Thanks, <laughs> you too, Rachel. Good luck. Cheers, guys. Take okay, care. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks people. Cheers, Naomi. Cheers, Rachel. It's hard times. The Akita, the heft is upon us. we got to mind ourselves. Do whatever it is, whatever it takes to brighten your own day. Nothing else you can do. You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text or WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinionline 96 Hashtag OL96 and of course messages through Facebook, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page is where you go and mark your message for the attention of the opinion line. That uh, People say, why do I say that all the time? Because, well, we get loads of messages in through Facebook to 96FM all day, every day, seven days a week, particularly from our listeners literally all over the world. If you mark it for the opinion line, we can search that and find it much faster. So that's that's why. That's why, particularly, say, from 12 o'clock today until Monday, when we're off, it gets us a better opportunity to to track down your message. So that's why. And thank you, because lots of people are doing it. Uh, This uh, thank you from Ted, 
or for to Ted for this message. Ted, I I just heard the rapid test was not fully accurate, but I te- I checked it, and here's the result of my research. A positive antigen test result is considered very accurate, but there's an increased chance of false negatives, meaning it's possible to be infected with the virus but have a negative result. Depending on the situation, the doctor may recommend a PCR test to confirm a negative antigen test result. I had read that as well, Ted, previously, but thank you. That's the test they're doing up in Bruce Bruce College as part of a pilot program. We had Michal Landers, the principal, on there testing the teachers on a regular basis with this test that gives a result in 15 minutes. And according to our research here this morning, it's cheapest chips. It's five to ten bucks a test, really cheap. And the American government have bought millions of them. And it very soon might be an alternative to the swab to the back of the nose and all that that takes hours and hours or a couple of days to come back. So that's it's great technology and it's fantastic to see it being tested up around the corner from us here at, at Bruce College. Someone was wondering about the PCR or the, yeah, the PCR test, the, the swab test, and asking the question, why is it that the thing to the back of the nose is so uncomfortable? Is it because they're burrowing into the back of your head? No, it's not. They're not burrowing into the back of your head. They certainly aren't. I read, I saw some idiot on on YouTube claiming that this was how they're putting microchips into. I'm telling you, the reason it feels uncomfortable when you get the swab to the back of the nose is because those particular cells, that particular area of flesh, for want of a better term, at the back of your nose, is not something that's ever touched. Like you touch the inside of your cheek, and that's okay. Yeah. Or stick it, even stick a swab into the back of your throat. That's not too unusual. But the back of your nose, those cells are never touched. So they kind of go, ha, huh? what's happening? What just happened? And that's why it takes a few minutes for it to, to come right again. Just thought I'd throw that one in. 1850-715-996. So we go from people staying on their own with their kids, single parents, their concerns, to the care home situation and they're worried now again about the care homes because the data they gave us last night is that the over 65s are starting to get more positive tests and it's getting into the nursing homes we've already had 30 odd cases in the nursing homes and Catherine Mahan Buckley uh, has written a piece for today's Echo uh, Catherine good morning to you good morning PJ good. how are you And you, you've, you've, how is your mum by the way how is she these days She's doing okay. Yeah. Uh, just okay, really. You know, um, I, I could actually say that from the lockdown in March, she deteriorated mentally. Yeah. Uh, uh, in, a, in a very big way. And I, I felt we were trying to get that back. Now, I just want to say that this letter is nothing to do with the homes because they are fantastic people. They do everything. This is really about... These bodies of people that sit around, like the HSE or maybe like the, the HICWA, who make these decisions about locking them down. I get why they lock them down. I understand it. And I sympathize and I will do everything in my power to support it. But we cannot punish the residents again when they don't see their families. Yeah. And I, I could get emotional about this now because I am so upset. That again, here we go. I didn't see my mom for 20 weeks, PJ. 
And you know yourself, yeah. every time you talk about, you, you know, about your own life, you, you always make reference to your parents. It's amazing. You'll yeah. always say, but my mom said, or my dad said, even, if, even at my age, you'd still say that. Yeah. And the fact that here we go again, and there isn't even a decision about if it's only for two weeks, you may be able to cope with it. Yeah. But we mightn't see them until Christmas again. My mom is 89. Do you know what I mean? It is. I mean, I could be gone before her. You could be gone before her. But the chances are, their li- their lifespan. Yeah. And I did concerts in the summer, uh, called summer melodies, up in the in the in in the home. And I I you know I all Cork artists performed free and everything, and we were able to see them outside. But in those weeks that we were doing it, we did it for ten weeks. You could see the deterioration in these people that because they were not meeting their their loved ones. Yeah. And it's very easy for people to say, oh, zoom them. Photo, you know, they're of an era it's that they the don't same. get that. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the and same also, for you, so how the hell can it be the same for them? Absolutely. And, you know, it gets to the stage of, you know, like say with, with somebody with dementia, it could be your smell. It could be your touch. Yeah. It could be they just looking at you can't communicate, but they know you're there in person. Yeah. And all I'm pleading is, I'm not asking for a big request. One member of the family, just one member, get tested. You can test me every day if you want to. You can test me every week. And that we're allowed, just one member of a family, to go in and see them, be with them, assure them, tell them they're safe. The people with dementia will have that fear of not being safe mm-hmm. and being neglected. And it's, it's appalling. It's not, it's, see, I, that's why I wrote that letter. I wrote it really maybe to help myself as well, because I was, I was saying a voice for the voiceless, because that's what they are. I mean, when, when they decided to shut down, and if you look at level three, four and five, it's, uh, you can have a visit if, you're, if they're critically ill or compassionate. Yeah. But surely everybody that's in a home is a compassionate patient. Yeah. You're not in a home. You don't sign yourself into a home because you can't look after yourself. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, it's it's so important that we, we I suppose, like, every single person should be regarded as minding them, looking after them, giving them something, a reason to live. Yeah. That's all. No, no, I, 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 I'm... And just after, after talking to Michal Landers at Bruce College there before 10 about this yes. test that gives a result in 15 minutes, you're, you're an ideal candidate for someone like that or someone going in to see a mom. Do a test, you get a result in 15 minutes. You know, even Absolutely. if you have to pay a couple of bucks for it, like it's cheap anyway. Even if you pay I don't have could, a problem with that. Yeah. I'll buy the, I'll even buy the, the equipment for grounding myself, masking myself. A simple thing, like, I, I just go in there and, and, like, I would do mum's nails, and she loves that. Well, I actually think it's it's my touch with her is yeah. what she loves. And that's, and, and like, sh- I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking, I know I'm talking about mum, but I'm talking about everyone in there. You're talking about thousands all, of people, Catherine. You're talking yes, about thousands of yes. relationships. You're voicing yes. it in a way that others can't. Yes. And, and and again, like when I hear, oh well, you know, pay, uh, you can bring it, you could bring it into the home, but so could um, like, and I'm not taking, please don't take it away. But sure, their staff can bring it in, their administration, the person who delivers the bread, the food. Like, yeah. what's what what makes me different to them? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and is she in a like, room on her own, Catherine? She is. She so is. it would be just and like you and her. Yeah, yeah it, and it's a beautiful, like, I mean, I, I, they have kept mom alive and they are so brilliant with her. I can't, I couldn't in any way. And I, I, you're, you're even afraid to say it just in case they're thinking you're attacking them. I'm not. No, you're not. I'm not. But I'm angry. I am angry at the moment. Who are you angry I, with, I, Catherine? I'm angry with the HSC. I'm angry with the, the government. I'm angry with the with the HICWA. HICWA made a statement during the summer and realised what they had done about locking these people down. Do you mean HICWA now or Neffet? Well, HICWA, I think that's the words, the, the people that were quoted to me. Okay. And saying, this could never happen again. And here we go. I haven't heard from mom or spoken with mom for the last two weeks. I write a letter to her. I write a letter to her three times a week um, and hoping that she will understand it. And, you know, and I know they write, read it to her. And I have to say that even in the 20 weeks that I didn't see her, when I, when I did go back, my gosh, she looked amazing. I mean, the care, the love. But the, I always remember, do you remember the woman that was on the television watching her husband's funeral? And she said there was such a lovely, lovely nurse sitting with her. And I always remember she said... That's not my, it wasn't my family. And that's what it's about. It's about their family. You cannot punish them and take their families away from them. It's so cruel. And I wish, and you know, you know, PJ, not mentioning any names, I was so desperate one day, and I would never do this. I phoned a counsellor, a town Mm counsellor, and he actually turned around and said to me, and what do you want me to do about it? Mm. And then said to me, um, why don't you, I have a friend like that and they phone her, why don't you phone her? And, and I said, uh, do you know, I, I, for the first time in my life, because I never in my life did this, I actually put the phone down on him. Yeah. I actually put the phone Just down. didn't get because it. Because I thought, didn't he get didn't it. get it, he didn't understand it, he wasn't sensitive to it. So why would I be getting, you know, I just got so frustrated. And I hated myself for putting the phone down. Yeah. Do, does, does, your mom, does your mom, is she aware of things, Catherine? Yes, she is. She would, like, she would think, like, she, at the moment she may think that she suffers from anxiety. I never even knew that uh, dementia uh, patients can suffer with this, they call it sundowning. I never heard of it sun-downing, in my life. Sundowning, yeah, yeah. Yeah, until and that anxiety, and then she might think that we're not, you know, she might think that she did something wrong to us, and that's why we're not visiting her, or she might think, you know, and when she when you go there, she would say, "Oh, you've made my day, you've made my day." I thought you were cross with me, and that could go on, and then she wouldn't understand about the virus because she might say to me. I suppose you're up to your eyes in the pantomime at the moment. And I'd say to her, no, unfortunately, there's no pantomime this year. There's no this and all that. Mm. You know, and she'd, uh, she'd get it. She'd say, all right. Mm. And my mom is very good at covering things, PJ. Yeah. She would kind of go, oh, I, I, I kind of, I, I do her, I do her catchphrase now at the moment. Oh, um, I, um, I know that. That's what she'll actually say to me. Mm-hmm. I know that. Um, and but she, you know it's her way of covering. Does, does you know? she have a memory box, Catherine? She has, and I'll tell you what she has. I made up for her. I made a complete photo album from her her being her baby. She been a baby, right up. But it's the saddest thing. Like I was really sad. Like when she was looking at it, she didn't even recognise herself. Bj, you know. 
you'd have to say, Mom, that's you? And then she'd, she's like, you know, I suppose you have to see the humour. And sometimes she picked out my dad and she said, gosh, who's he? And I said, that's dad. Yeah. And she said, he's a very good looking man is he married you know that kind yeah. of that's the, you know it's childlike uh, it, isn't it absolutely absolutely and you see that comes back to my point PJ I wonder say you you, you have children and, and like I know you, some of your children are, are grown but if you were told that um it's, there's a you're going to be suspended on seeing your children by God there would be people out on the streets mm-hmm. but there just because they're, we, we were talking about the 1 to 20 year olds, we should also be talking about the 70 to 100 to 107 year olds. They still do need love. They still do need <coughs> care. And they need touch, yeah. smell and everything. And, Catherine, and we're not nurturing them. Catherine, does it break, finally, do, does it break any ice with you when somebody says it's for their own good? But I, I tell you, I, 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 who, yeah, when people say that to me, I actually get even more. I don't show it, but I do get, Jesus Christ, you don't even understand this at all, you know? Because, you know, who said it's for their own good? Who said this? Uh, no, no, no family was consulted about, are you happy that your, your mother is going to be locked down for 20 weeks? No patient. Now, I know you might say, well, how could you ask the patient when they don't know? I guarantee you, if you said to any patient, even with with even mild or moderate dementia, uh, how do you feel about not having seen your family for twenty weeks? Mm. I think you you'd get it. Yeah. You'd know the answer you'd get. Is is there a dangerous yeah. assumption? And I think it is a dangerous assumption that somebody with dementia, particularly like someone like your mom, who's still with yes. it to to a point, yes. is there a dangerous assumption that they're blissfully unaware? You see. I, I, I would, uh, yeah, I might take that on board in one way, but I would also say to you, when, when, when my mom sees me and my brother or my sister-in-law, um, you know, and or Ted, my husband, the, the, her face lights up. Mm. Her face lights up. So I'm sorry, she must be aware that we're not around. And I know that mum does ask the nurses, when am I coming in, when am I coming in, when am I coming in? And it must be very hard on them as well. But they have to be listening to, or trying to explain, over-explain, over-explain, over-explain. But like at the end of the day, she's suffering. She's suffering. It mightn't be the type of suffering that you might be understanding or I might be understanding, but they are suffering. Finally, Catherine, and let's imagine it's not me. Let's imagine it's a man you know better than me, even Michal Martin, uh, at the yeah. end of the phone, and you have 20 seconds to say to him what's, what's on your mind. What would you say to him? I would say, look at the compassionate grounds that you have said in level three, four, and five, and leave one, one family member who must be tested every time they go in or before it to and keep our people who are voiceless with a voice. Catherine, always a pleasure to talk to you. Give my best to your mum. And thanks, PJ, for allowing me to speak. You're welcome. 1850-715-996. I think she speaks for hundreds, if not thousands of people. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now, 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Hang on two seconds while I do the disc on my car on the app on my phone. Hold on a second. Bing, 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 bang. That's it. Thanks. Uh, just make sure the car is properly parked outside. 1850-715-996. Liam's got in touch with us with regard to weddings, which at level three, you can have 25 people at a wedding. Should we go to level four or five, that is only six people. I think it's still 25 as of today, is it, Liam? Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Yes, I think so. But my daughter's getting married shortly. And if right. it does go to level four or five, it means six. Now, um, the bride and groom will obviously have to be there. They'll have to have their uh, best man and the bridesmaid. I will have to go because I'll walk her down the aisle, but her mother and either her mother-in-law or her father-in-law can't go. I mean, where is the logic in this? Now, here's a good question that I don't know if it's been posed. Does the six include the bride and groom? Well, no, it says six, so if it doesn't, it's not very clear. Um, so she'll get married early in the new year and hopefully it won't come to that stage but surely these advisors can come up if they had said four I could understand it or, or eight I know four would be the best man the, uh, sorry the bride and groom the best man and the bride and the, the four and leave them going and get married but when they can have one parent from each side of the family it's just not logical is it? The way you put it no no. There's no. So I'm just wondering. Like your average bridal party is bride and groom, the best man and best bride. man and the bridesmaid and the two sets of parents. Correct. Correct. Yeah. But now in this case, I can't. Either my wife can't go, or his parents can't. But my wife can go. I mean, her daughter's getting married. She can't go to her wedding, and it's a mile in the road. Yeah. How How's your daughter feeling about the whole thing? She's apprehensive in the sense that she's wondering what's going to happen. You know, like she's just don't know. She just doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. In the sense that it's, have, how can she cut her early laws? How can she cut us? If we go, we're breaking the law. So it's, she's, I don't know. Yeah. It would be de- definitely worth clarity, and it might be a question. I know that Zara King from Virgin Media has been bringing up these kind of questions at the Neffet briefings since day one. It might be a, a good question to bring up at the evening briefing. Does the yeah. six include the bride and groom? Because the, wed- the standard wedding party is about eight people. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, even at that, 
the cutting back on guests and friends and cousins, that's hard too, isn't it? My daughter has, has uh, two sisters and three brothers, and he, the groom has two sisters, and they can't even go to their wedding. So <clears throat> there's something wrong with that. I mean, if it's immediate family, you would say, fair enough. But even if their partners or their husbands weren't allowed, at least yeah. your brothers and sisters are there. Yeah, You know, it's, it's just madness, isn't it? The ideal scenario for all of this, isn't it, Liam? It's fast, fast, reliable uh, testing. Yeah, so I would like to think that maybe if you have some politician on at some stage, you might ask him and ask him to, you know, reconsider the situation and yeah. change it. To, I don't think it would be a big deal to change it to eight people, two, two people extra. I don't think that's a big deal. Yeah, no, it's yeah. It, it's an incredibly logical question, Liam, and, yeah. and thank you for raising it. And you know, no somebody, no. somebody up the line might raise it at one of these briefings. Thank you very much. That's Liam O'Sullivan. Under four or five. Under stage four or stage five, only six people would be allowed to a wedding. So you've got the bride and groom, the two sets of parents, that's six. So what do you do then with the, uh, with the best man and, 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 the, and, the, and the bridesmaid? Even if you have only one bridesmaid and you've no groomsman, that's eight. So who do you dump out of that? So there's a very logical, good question that might, might be one that we can put to the powers that be, is there someone, or is there someone who knows the restrictions inside out, who could maybe tell us? Does the six people at a wedding include the bride and groom, or are they not included in that? Do you know what I'm saying? That's a very, very good question for a very, very solid reason. Eighteen fifty seven one five. 996. Government should be putting it to the people to lock down or not. It's not fair all these decisions are being made without us having some input when we're the ones existing in these times, Patricia. Are you suggesting, Patricia, that we have some kind of a, a vote or a referendum or, or what? On the testing, there, there's going to be thousands of deaths from suicides and loneliness and people not taking care of themselves from mental health. The WHO has said there should be a test trace, isolate driven response and lockdowns are to be avoided for the reasons above. The government are making absolute bags out of this and my sympathies to Catherine and all the people suffering like her. There's been a lot of talk, again, on social media and the the wilder the media, the the more nonsense that you read. There's been a lot of talk saying that WHO wants to ban lockdowns or the WHO says there should never be a lockdown. there's a lot of nonsense out there. Let us let us listen to what two people, or is it one? I have two. I have one, I have one certainly from the WHO said about lockdown. Actually said it in an interview. David Nabarro, who was a guest on this program a few weeks back from the World Health Organization. We spoke one morning, myself and Mr. Nabarro, for about 20 minutes. He was asked last week about lockdown and exactly where the WHO stands on lockdown. We in the World Health Organization do not advocate lockdowns as a primary means of control of this virus. The only time we believe a lockdown is justified is to buy you time to reorganize, regroup, rebalance your resources, protect your health workers who are exhausted. But by and large, we'd rather not do it. That's as clear as gin. If you want to get clearer again, let's listen to the Irishman who's running the show for the World Health Organization, 
Dr. Mike Ryan. I didn't state that lockdowns were not necessary. I said that lockdowns were not the absolute and only consequence of new cases, that there were many situations in which numbers of new cases can be contained. If you catch this disease in the early, early stages, and, and even not so early sometimes, as many countries like South Korea and Japan have seen, uh, and you work hard on surveillance and cluster investigation and isolating cases, and quarantining contacts and ensuring that we can break chains of transmission even though a lot of many of the cases can be asymptomatic and sometimes it's hard to find them but by focusing in on these symptomatic cases by focusing in on shutting down those trains of chains of transmission you catch up and then when you catch up uh, you can speed up uh, and the problem in many countries is they're getting themselves into situations where the disease is very, very established and very, very intense. And then there are no options but to, to shut down and lock down in many situations. Now, if you need any more clarity on exactly what the WHO said about lockdowns, I don't think you do. So they haven't said no more lockdowns. They've explained that a lockdown is a last resort in a serious situation. Hey, lads, we always knew that, like. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Court's 96FM. Do you know what? We forgot someone when we were doing Liam's list. Liam said the bride and groom, the two sets of parents, the best man, and the bridesmaid. That's eight. Where do you pick six out of that? We forgot one. What about the priest or the celebrant? So that complicates matters even more. You can hardly marry yourself, like. At level three and a half, or whatever we're at at the moment, it's six guests. We have eight living in the same house. Only six can attend a wedding. Where's the sense in that? I'd prefer to remain anonymous as we might just go. I think as of today, it is still 25. Again, and to be fair, it is confusing. Even for someone like me who sits here most of the day or spends some time every day with the thing in my hand of the National Framework of Living with COVID-19 to wonder where we are on the blasted thing, it's confusing. Under level three, which is where we are at the moment in Cork, Weddings are 25 people. But you see, we're at level three and a bit. So we now don't know, I don't know, whether it's 25 or whether it's six. If anyone's getting married this weekend, can you let me know, is it 25 or is it six? Because I don't know. 1850-715-996 on Catherine Mahan Buckley. Uh, well done to her for highlighting this issue. We all have elderly parents and relatives and communication or contact with loved ones is the best medicine. Loneliness kills, says Elaine. And indeed it does. And my friend Paddy O'Brien has been saying it for many, many, many years. Loneliness kills more people than illness. And that's the truth. So let's hope that people are listening to what Catherine is saying. It would be a great idea when we have these fast tests. Could you not have someone tested to go in and see Nana or Mom or Dad or whoever, you know, could we not just do that? We were talking about the budget earlier in the week and one group that was not happy at all with the provisions of Budget 21 were childcare and the childcare provision sector at all levels. Elaine Dunn is the chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Hi, Elaine. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. It wasn't the best budget ever for 
the childcare sector. What now? Business was the priority, I guess, and getting business through the virus was the priority. But then you, your businesses too, and you were left out. Yeah, we were we were left out. In fairness, we we actually got nothing. So um, when you look at what Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael um, said when they were going to deliver their own programme for government, they promised to deliver by expanding both the ECC and the NCS. Okay, they both said this in the programmes for government, and they did none of it. Um, they have done nothing to help the parents and in the childcare bills. They've done nothing to help us to give our staff a good wage. They've done nothing um, whatsoever to, you know, to keep everything going. The only thing that we did get was the expansion of the EWSS until the end of March, which if we didn't have that, a lot of us would be gone out of business. And that's no word of a lie. We would be gone. The sector is dying on its feet at the moment. And uh, the government aren't listening. They don't get. We are the lowest funded in the EU and nobody is listening. We can't, we can't keep this up. They keep going on about that they gave us um, all these grants, you know, earlier on on the 29th of June. So I got 4,000 euros of a grant. I spent 10,500 getting my service ready for reopening on the 29th of June. And I reopened for 14 children. Yeah, compared to? And I'm only one, compared to 55. What? Yeah. So that couldn't be sustainable. No, it's not at all. And it started as steadily. People, we were starting to see a rise, and now it's things that COVID is getting dramatically worse. You can start to see parents dropping off again. I know in Donegal, providers are very, very worried because they're on level four since last night. Parents are keeping their children home. Um, they're extremely worried about their businesses now. Yeah. And this is going to continue to happen. We are all worried about their businesses. You know, we, Were you telling the lads that, that there are actually two businesses in Cork have gone in the last... Yes. In the last 10 days, two large services have gone in Cork and three up in Dublin have gone in in the last 10 days. And, you know, their reasons are that they did not have sustainability. They couldn't, their capacity was too low. Um, Mental health was a huge issue and they couldn't get staff. So there are a lot of these issues. And these are issues that are all the time growing and growing and growing. So the department um, wants us all to have degree-led, they want it to be a degree-led sector then fund us correctly so that we can keep our staff working for us and pay their wages correctly. So parents, everybody will be looked after. I mean, if they go out there, they, they were supposed to be looking at the, Nor- the Norwegian model. You know, Norway is highly funded by the government. I worked in Sweden for two years, highly funded by the government. Mm. You know, and here we are. We are like, we are begging. We are on our knees at this point begging for funding. And then we were all sitting there the other day when the budget was announced. And when I say deflation in our sector, we are so deflated. We feel so let down, undervalued. Yet we are essential workers right now. We are, you know, helping parents to get back out to work, helping parents to work from home, keeping our country going. And for what? We get no respect whatsoever. We have providers, okay, here's here's another scenario. Like you have providers who, if a parent dies, and you take three days off. You have to make up those days. There's no compassionate leave for our sector. How do you it, make them up? So we, if we close our service because we've had an immediate family member die. Okay. So say my mum died yeah. and I closed my service for three days for obvious reasons. I need to do what I need to do for myself and my family and the funeral and stuff. We have, we have to make up those days before the end of the year. Now, so you have to you open ever, for three alternative days. Three alternative days. We are not allowed to have those days. 
No compassion whatsoever. That's no outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. We have been fighting this now for over uh, two weeks because we only found out about it and we only realised. And then we, we put it up in our groups and we put it on our Facebook page and hundreds of providers have come back and said, yes, my mother died, my father died. Um, through all of that, I had to make up the days. We had another provider from Wexford. Like, his service is at the back of his family home, so he lives with his mom and his dad, okay? And his father died in the house and was laid out in the house and he was told he could not close his service. And if he did, he would have to make up the day. So he's having a wake, a wake in the front of his house, okay? And... Oh, no, he closed. Look, he closed the service. But they wanted him to remain open or he was to make up the days. Elaine, did you hear this sound? Mm-hmm. That's my chin hitting the table. I've never yeah. heard such callousness in my life. Absolutely. It just gets better and better, you know. It, you just When you talk to providers on the ground and you hear their stories and their heartbreaking stories, um, I've heard a lot of them in the last week. And, you know, we've had to help providers and very upset providers telling their stories to us as well. So you they know? expected, they ex- sorry now I'm going back over, that they expected yes. him to wake his dad in the house. Mm-hmm. While you can talk con- to him yourself. So I, I, you can Continuing I'll, to have mm-hmm. class. Oh, dear God. That's, that's, yeah. wow. Well, that, the worst children would be out in the back garden of, I know, I know, I know, Elaine, but that's, I'm sorry, that's like, like, that's like something out of the Magdalene Laundries. It really is. It's crazy. Let's stay there a second, Elaine. Thanks. Um, Ollie Sheehan is with Mary Geary's Crash and Carry Tool, one of the biggest in the area we've talked before. Ollie, hello. Good morning, PJ. Good morning, Elaine. Good to talk to you. Hi, Ollie. Tough times, Ollie. Yeah, things are, look, you know what? Um, It's a huge challenge, but what I would say is that you go out, PJ, and you speak to people every day. You know, yesterday you covered, um, you know, the Ryanair employees being laid off. You covered, there's a lot, my own immediate family, with, you know, people being laid off. So it's not easy for anyone. I suppose I may be a slightly different take and from, well, from our own point of view and some of the providers that I might be talking to and things, you know, uh, look, we have the employment wage. First of all, I'd say is that, look, the budget, there was nothing specific uh, new for childcare. Yeah, nothing new. Sorry, are you there, Ollie? You there? Ollie? Elaine, are you still with me? Oh, someone's line is someone's line is gone. Are you are you still with me, Elaine? Yeah, I'm yeah, no, okay. here. Yeah, yeah. All of the line seems to have have collapsed there. There was nothing new for a sector that, and we talked, I think, you and me previously throughout yeah. the election and throughout many many months, we've been talking about the fact that this sector is, like you said, the worst funded childcare sector mm. in the EU. Yeah, we're undervalued, you know. Um, and look, and, and I and I agree with what Ali is saying there. You know, there are loads of different sectors in in, in hard, we're all in hard times, and I get that. But we are a sector here that are essential workers. Um, you know, the amount of money we spend on PPE equipment, uh, you know, and keeping everything going is is unbelievable. You know, and even just you know trying to keep everything afloat. Yeah, I think you I'll... know for the sustainability is yeah. you know it's it's very difficult at the moment, and I just think. You know, a lot of providers are feeling very deflated. They're feeling very let down. You know, there was a lot of tears um, the other day from providers because sure. we didn't. We got the same funding as last year. And, like, when they, they put out the funding, 
that money is not that funding is not allocated out to the sector. It's kept in the department, and then they decide where that funding goes. So a lot of the funding is kept in the department. Yeah, so Ollie, Ollie, Ollie's back there. Funded. We started out the problem with his line. Like when you were sitting down the other day, Ollie, to watch the budget or to listen to the budget, were you expecting anything that more than you got? Well, I suppose what looked a bull- No, that line is just not going to work with, with Ali, whatever's wrong with him today. Normally his line is pretty good. We just leave a goal, guys. It's not going to happen, unfortunately, that wherever he is, unless we can get him to a landline and bring it back after 11, we'll have to abandon that one. But Elaine, so businesses now at a point where they are unsustainable and closing week by week. Yeah, there are services closing down week by week. I was quite shocked myself that five services went within 10, 10 days. And they all contacted us. And I was really shocked at that because, you know, we are all hanging in on it by a thread. And some services have full capacity. Other services have, like, minimum capacity. I mean, my, I, I, I'm a daycare service. And I close now on a Monday and a Friday at 1 o'clock. Mm. That's why I've only three days where I'm full day and I have two days where I'm half days. Because it's not sustainable you know, otherwise. It's not sustainable at, at this time. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping, you know, as time passes, it will get better. And I'm hanging in. You know, but um, a lot of people now are saying that they can't see themselves being here this time next year. That's that's bleak. That's bleak. Thank you, Elaine Dunn, chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Childcare and the childcare sector badly neglected in the budget on Tuesday. It was a budget for business. It was a budget to help business through the pandemic. In many ways, it was a very good budget in that regards. Why leave out such a crucial area? Why give them nothing? They, they, they put stuff in place for all sorts of different sectors and they're getting rightly, rightly praised for it. But nothing for childcare. Why not? Is it because kids don't vote? Their parents do. You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996. The number, the text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. I think this is one of the messages of the day and I'm going to read it out. If people did what they were asked to do, we wouldn't be in this situation. This is all down to us, not the government. Not the healthcare people. It is our responsibility to stop this spreading. Last night, Dr. Holohan said they monitored traffic movement and it was clear that nobody was listening. I think that might have been Dr. Nolan, but I get your point. Traffic is still as high as ever. People are still out driving around. So until they stop, neither will the virus. Yeah, I think Dr. Nolan or Professor Nolan, who does the maths, was saying that they surveyed traffic movement. They did that during lockdown to see how many of us were actually staying at home. They did this geolocator thing following us around, effectively checking where our cars were. And we're nearly as many on the road as we were this time last week. Uh, and that's not helping. Good point. There's a thing that started in the UK. It's kind of a catchphrase. Some of the talk shows are using it and there's advertising now on some of the radio stations in the UK. They're calling it Hands Face Space. And I like it. Hands Face Space. Before you leave the house, have I washed my hands? Do I have a covering for my face? And when I go out, I must watch my space. 
hands, face, space, and that will get us through an awful lot. Right. When you go out to walk the dog, as we do, you'd love to be able to let that motor off a lead and just throw a ball and let them run and catch it. You can't do that under law. Your dog's got to be on the lead. But Councillor Thomas Maloney has come up with an idea. And to be fair, Thomas, this is a reality. It's not just a pipe dream. This is a reality in, in, in many parts of the States. Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. Uh, good morning. Yeah, it is a reality. Actually, there's a number of uh, dog parks in Dublin, and there's a few of them around the country as well that are working very well. Um, there is some holdbacks because you do need a substantial space for the dogs to be able to run around. You need a segregation space for them as well for small dogs, medium dogs, larger dogs. Mm. And exceptional parks would also provide some dog equipment and exercise equipment that they can run around and play and um, you'd be looking for trees, you'd be looking for different spaces inside there. But I definitely think, even looking at Tremor Valley Park now as an example, just taking that as an example, I think somewhere inside there are people driving in safely, having their dogs on the leads, going to a secluded spot, nice and safe, and leaving their dogs off in an enclosed space. Yeah. Now, I can't take full responsibility for this motion because there has been a number of people down through the years being in contact with me trying to get something like this up and running and I've put the motion down many a time in relation to it mm. um, it's just previously on the 21st of July of this year we've uh, I put another motion down previous to that and um, we got the response on the 21st of July it's great to see Cork City Council are considering it they're looking at the feasibility of it mm. and they're going to look at within their existing parks whether it, there can be a compromise they are area found and they're going to look at the supervision, the cleaning, the maintenance and the size that's required. So it, it sounds positive um, it looks positive mm. and I hope we can actually facilitate it. I've seen one in Spain they're very popular uh, people bring their dogs the dog runs around. Now the only problem is that unfortunately dogs do what dogs will do and you can have a fairly queer selection of crossbreed puppies okay. as a result and they'll do what they do when you leave a, a lot to be cleaned up so they've got to be they've got to have rules you can't just let them off the, off the, off the lead and go away with you Absolutely. And obviously, maybe you probably need somebody supervising it at the start when it's up and running. You need to encourage people to be very aware of the rules and the regulations within it. You have to make it safe for everybody, but everybody also has to take their own personal responsibility. The truth of the matter is there's an awful lot of people out there that are very responsible, that look after their dogs, that clean up after them and the whole lot. It's the minority of people that actually give those um, dog owners, dog lovers animal lovers actually bad names you know so yes you would need rules and regulations in place but that's okay I mean I think people will abide by those also in an enclosed space like this what you can do is make sure there's a lot more bins around the place they're cleaned and they're changed maybe at the end of each day you know it, it, putting a space like this in makes an awful lot of sense and it well, gives you the opportunity uh, to, to, to secure and save it and keep it clean you can also if you had a, some kind of a warden there make sure that everybody who brings a dog has poopy bags and stuff yes yes absolutely um, and look starting off if people are forgetting their poopy bags or they left them in the car or something like that look it's very easy to have some on the gate on the way in 
starting off on, on an initiative like this. Personally, I think it would be great to keep it going. Um, they used to give them out freely previously within the council. I know that has stopped. Um, but I think if you're going to an enclosed safe space, there's no harm in having something like that at the start as well. Right. But people would be encouraged to bring in their own. One we'll watch with interest and see uh, will it get off the ground. Great idea though, I love it. Thomas Maloney, Councillor Thomas Maloney. A doggy park where you can go and just let the dog off the lead, chuck a ball and let the do let the dog do what comes naturally to the dog. 1850-715-996. Something else coming out of City Hall is purple light. Um, City Hall has the capacity to light up many different colours, but purple is not one I'd be able to read off the top of my head say, ah, I know why it's purple. Julie Sweeney, why is it purple? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you very much for having me on. Delighted. Uh, Cork City is one of three Cork landmarks lighting up this evening um, to celebrate or to create awareness for Developmental Language Disorder, DLD. Okay. I've heard of that before. What's that again? Okay, so DLD is a language uh, disorder which affects children, you know, when they're trying to learn their own language, they have difficulty understanding what people say to them, they struggle to articulate their ideas and their feelings, Um, and research actually shows, PJ, that around 1 in 14 children have DLD at some level, Um, and that works out at about 2 in the average class of 28. Wow. It's more common than... ASD, ADHD, um, you know, which ter- which are terms people might be more familiar with. Mm. But actually, DLD is, is it's about ten times more common than ASD, but it is the most hidden common disorder um, affecting children in, in Ireland. I suppose looking back, we we know what it is now. We didn't know what it is in the eighties, and the nineties, and the seventies, which is why certain kids got put to the back of the class and effectively looked at the ceiling for the year. Yeah, um, and it's very, it's actually very, very common. Now, it doesn't just affect speech because communication is, is such a vital part of, you know, our, our person. Um, children with, with DLD will have social emotional difficulties, they have mental health difficulties, they have, you know, um, kind of motor, sensory needs, right. socialization is a huge issue with them, making friends. In school, is is a huge problem. Isolation um, is quite common, so it it impacts a child in absolutely every way. This is this is personal to you, of course. Tell me about Connor. I, I think you might have been on with me before about Connor. I was. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so Connor, I was on previously back in May. Connor has two speech disorders, I suppose, ongoing. Um, now, not everybody would have both so they can have one or the other or both. So Connor would have verbal dyspraxia, which I spoke to you previously about, where he has difficulty actually making sounds, you know, moving his his face and his tongue and, and so mm-hmm. forth to make sounds. Yeah. So that's verbal dyspraxia. That affects around 1 in 1,000 children. DLD is far more common, and as, as I said, it's about 1 in 14. So um, Connor has a diagnosis of DLD as well. Um, it's quite severe. He has to attend a language class um, to help him overcome his, his issues. So, to putting it very simply, we're just talking about dogs. Like, Connor knows what a dog is, but he can't say the word dog. Is that it? Yes, and I suppose if you asked Connor um, to, to identify, you know, 
various images on a page and, and dog might be one of them or something. So he would know what he wants to say, but he just, by the time the word gets to him, it's a little bit slower. He, he's, um, intellectually, he knows exactly what he wants to say. Mm-hmm. He's just that little bit slower to process the question. The word is and there, but the memory the answer, won't find he, it. He has to find, exactly, yeah. he has to find the words that he wants to use. So just from, a, um, I suppose, in a kind of a day-to-day in the classroom, students would need that little bit longer to process a question, come up with the formulate the answer that they want to say, but in a busy classroom, that's very, very difficult. Right. Um, you can imagine out in the playground with their friends, having following a conversation is very difficult. Yeah. So look at another word, apple. Like Connor knows what an apple is. He knows the word apple. But unlike you or me who just find it in the memory bank every time we need to use it, he needs to go in there, look for it and bring it out to his lips. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and it's just it's giving them the time maybe sometimes to come up with the answer. But um, children will require, you know, help and assistance to yeah. be able to, to come up with the strategies to, to do this quickly um, in such a manner that they can participate effectively and efficiently in everyday life. Okay, okay. Listen, and today is, the, is it today is the awareness day? Today is the awareness day. So um, there's an international organisation called RADLD, Raising Awareness of DLD. Um, this is their fourth year of having an international kind of awareness campaign. They're one of the main organisations to, to create awareness. And... Um, so Ireland has gotten involved. I got on board as a parent of a child with, with DLD and we have over, I think, 35 light-up landmarks events happening tonight. So there are three, as I mentioned, in Cork. Um, but it, it, it will be all over the country. Um, Dublin have quite a number of them as well. They're in Donegal, they're in Wexford, they're in Kerry. Um, so huge events for us um, and we're just creating awareness okay. for DLD. You know, a parent might be out there and they may say, yeah, that's my child. Yeah. They know what they want to say. They're just not able to say it quick enough. That um, happened the last time you were on. We had a couple of calls like that. Yes, and and I suppose, you know, um, research has shown that it's so undiagnosed in, in school um, and getting access to diagnosis within the HSE is very, very slow, as you know. Um, and I heard a podcast actually. Dr. Kira O'Toole in UCC has done some fantastic podcasts. They're up on Spotify. Uh, for anybody who'd want to listen to them, just just search the the, um, the tag DLD. Mm. And in that, she did a podcast with with Dr. Eva Gallagher from um, UL. And Eva mentioned in her podcast, um, the the Irish Association of Speech Language Therapists would would estimate that upwards of even half of the children with DLD are not plugged into services right. um, to, for SLT at the moment. And it's found. presenting in class then as emotional problems, behavioural issues yeah. and, you know, the root cause is actually DLD, but children are not getting the support for the, the speech-language end of things okay. and it's manifesting in other ways. So there's a parent out there and they think, this is my child, go online, Look for the hashtag DLDCME because of such a hidden disorder. Our whole campaign this year is around visibility. So hashtag DLDCME is our tag for this year. Okay. All right. Good talking to you and our best to Connor. Thank you, Julie Sweeney. Uh, DLD Awareness Day. DLD raise R-A-D-L-D is their organization. And if you're on social, just search hashtag DLDCME. 
DLD see me. 1850-715-996. Now, there's none of us inclined to be wanting to plan our demise at this stage. But but when it does come, and Lord knows it'll come to us all, where do you want to get buried? Would you want to get buried in an eco-graveyard? Ah, uh, what, Paige? An eco-graveyard. Yes, it's a thing, and someone wants to open one in Cork. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. So there are already uh, eco-graveyards, so I'm told, in Wexford and in Galway. Uh, Green Party City Councillor Oliver Moran is also in favour of them. Basically, they're a place where you're buried without chemicals and there are no unnecessary markings. I don't know if that's no headstones or nothing. And, And the graveyard itself supports biodiversity. There are trees there and and wildflowers. Sounds a bit like burying people in, 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 in the forest or something. It, maybe Neve Riley can tell me more about it because you're in favour of it. Neve, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Um, yeah, so it is almost like burying someone in a forest. The idea is that it, it promotes natural biodiversity and it gives us like this nice green space that would be preserved in the city centre to look after our loved ones without doing excessive harm to the climate and like doing less harm than traditional burial. Will there be no headstones, no? Um, there could be things like small local stones that are engraved or you could plant a tree where you buried your loved one and have like a marker on the tree. Um, it's up to the people themselves what they want to do with their loved one. But the idea of these large quarried headstones, probably not. Mm. Why change the way we bury our dead? Um, Because the current way we do it isn't particularly sustainable and isn't... Like, we're using a lot of methods that were invented in the mid to late 18 and 1900s, and I think it's time that we kind of modernise it. And we're all aware that there's an ongoing climate crisis, and I think we kind of need to look at all aspects of our life and how we participate in society. And death is one of those things that we can we can make it a little bit greener, so why shouldn't we? Now, I take it that you're talking about things like eco-coffins that disintegrate these wicker coffins are becoming more and more popular. I see John Hume buried in one recently. And, and also, I, do, I, do I hear that there would be no, no embalming? No embalming. Um, embalming isn't really necessary unless your loved one has to be interred and kept like looking, I guess, fully preserved for a long period of time, which um, the reason embalming was invented was for soldiers on battlefields in the American Civil War so that they could be taken home and that could take weeks. But we don't keep people like in their coffins being viewed by their friends and family for weeks anymore. It's usually only about three days, so it's perfectly safe not to embalm someone they won't start like smelling or anything so it's one of those things where it had its time and its place but it's perhaps not as necessary anymore Isn't cremation the easiest way of all and just scatter the ashes? Cremation is quite easy but it um, 
can be very energy intensive and also some cultures and religions are not in favour of it. The Catholic Church actually used to be strongly anti-cremation until quite recently. And some people just aren't okay with it or have their own moral reasons to be against it. So I think like if people want to get cremated, that's absolutely fine. But we're off, we're looking to offer something for the people who want to bury their dead. Okay, I see where the council have kind of said, well, we can leave an area set aside in some of the existing cemeteries for eco-burial if there was a demand. Is that a good start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's I'm of the opinion it's better to have the option than to have nothing at all. There's kind of no point in sitting on our hands and waiting for a whole eco-burial-like land to come off because we don't know when that will be. Cork is already quite stuck for space. So as long as we have somewhere where people can have the auction, I am absolutely delighted that the auction itself just exists. All right, Niamh. It's something that for the future, I guess that's Niamh O'Reilly looking for an eco-graveyard. No embalming, no real big headstones, just bury me and let me there and grow trees and let the animals roam and grow the wildflowers and basically put me into a forest. 185715996, which brings me to a question I've always wanted to ask. And I don't wish to offend anybody, right? Which means I probably am going to. I mentioned John Hume in his wicker basket coffin, which I thought was a lovely touch. Very simple coffin for a very simple man, because that's what John Hume was. And they're becoming increasingly popular now. But what you also see is coffins, put it this way, you change the family car for what some people pay for a coffin and then they put it in to a crematorium and I kind of think why like like I've told them I've told them at home do you know I mean if you can get away with a few black plastic bags off with you do you know what I mean save the money but then again, I do plan to be around long enough to be a total nuisance to my kids, not the half nuisance that I am now. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 0833 96 96 96. On Court's 96 FM. Diana wants to know PJ, is it still okay under new restrictions to mind children in my home? I am a childminder and I'm a bit confused about this. The children are not family members and are school-going age. Thank you. Diana, I do not know is the answer. I really do not know. And I wish I had. I wish I did. But I don't. Because that's definitely a confusing one. You are allowed to mind a child. As in maybe your sister's child or your brother's child or whatever. But you're, you're, I don't know are you allowed to take a number of children in. Or 1850-715-996. Dee says, a wicker basket and put the radio into it with me. <laughs> Thanks. And if the Green Party have anything to do with it, it'll be double the price. Ah, childminding is classed as essential work. Thank you. That's, is that Mr. Barry out the back? It is Fergal Barry uh, on the executive research desk. Uh, childminding is classed as essential work. So you should be okay, Diana. See, it's so confusing. People genuinely do not know. Quick mention, or I'll forget, Trevor Welsh is on 96m.ie this Saturday for the Premier League Live, exclusively online and powered by TalkSport. This Saturday, busy day, the Merseyside Derby, Everton-Liverpool at half 12, Chelsea versus Southampton at 3, 
Man City v Arsenal at half five and Newcastle v Man, U- Man United at eight. It's the Premier League live online. Listen every Saturday. Download the app or go to 96fm.ie. Now, we received an email in the last few days. It was quite a long email, but we took a couple of points from it. Um, this is from someone who was raped and would like, obviously, to remain completely anonymous, but just wanted to say something. And here's the piece that I propose to read. For anyone who's been raped or sexually abused, I just want to say, do not give up. Don't let the abusers get in their head, even if they get nowhere with a complaint. The only way they win is if we're victims for the rest of our lives. We have to fight through the nightmares and fears and make ourselves happy. We need to make great memories for tomorrow. We cannot change today. We cannot change yesterday. But we can have a great tomorrow. Don't let the rapists and the abusers take our futures. They got our bodies without our permission. We cannot let them take our hearts and minds. We are stronger than the monsters that did these horrific things to us. We have already overcome the worst of it. I know in my heart there's a lot of people out there that have gone through what we have gone through. I just want them to stay strong and find happiness. It is not easy, but is the only way to beat them. I am so lucky to have had the support of my amazing family. I get my strength from them. I hope others can find strength. Thank you for reading this email. I hope it helps someone today. There's a particular line, don't let the rapists and abusers take our futures. They got our bodies without our permission. We cannot let them take our hearts and minds. Brave and powerful words. Mary Crilly from the Cork Sexual Violence Centre. That's some email, Mary. Would not give you a lift on a Friday or any other day. And I mean, when I read that, I just thought, well done and thank you. Because as you know, the majority of people who are raped want to hear um, people who've gone through similar awful kind of situations. They hear from us because we're giving the information out, but really want to hear from somebody who's been through it. And I just want to say to her, well done and thank you, because the impact that's going to have is going to be phenomenal. You don't even realise the impact it's going to have. Mm. Um, I think it's great because it is great when somebody is able to reclaim it. But like very often I find that rape is never quite finished because... You know, like say, recently somebody was on about going to school, like the second level of school, uh, where the perpetrator is in school with her. So you're never really finished with it, but you can find different ways of taking your power back when you're ready. Yeah. People feel very powerless when they have done everything, when the guards have kind of gra- gathered as much information as they can in the best way they can, and then they decide not to proceed. That happens. But I loved what that person said in their email that even if it doesn't go ahead, um, you still don't let them into your head because that's the most important bit, mm. not to let them into your head. People often wonder, why me? And they just realised, you know, from talking to offenders over the years, these guys will say they did it because they could. They didn't necessarily choose ABC, they just did it because they could. Yeah. On, on the thing about, you know, so many cases never see the inside of a courtroom, let alone get out of the guard station. Uh, and so many people don't report and that's one of the reasons I think this this writer is saying look, whatever happens this can pass I think she is I think she's saying there is a life after it which is great and which is what people need to hear because 
you know, after a rape or even a few months after a rape when they're feeling really still bad, they think there's no hope, it's not going to end, I'm never going to feel the way I did. And that's quite true, you might never feel the way you did before, but you can still feel a lot better than you do right now. There is hope, there is ways out. And I think what keeps people stuck is the self-blame. If only I didn't do this, if only I hadn't done that. Or what they would say is, is the shame they felt. And not always to do what the person was doing to them, but what they were saying to them, the names they were calling them, the things they were whispering, the things they were saying, like, you really want this. All sorts of things really keep people awake and, you know, upset. And they find it very hard to move on from there. But that's where the friends can come in and start standing up for once, you know, when they know it happens in a group and for once stand up the whole lot of you and, you know, protect the person who's been raped, not the person who's done it, because that's what happens. People don't want to get involved, so they stick with the perpetrator and throw the victim or the person who said that he or she has been raped, throw them out of the group. That really needs to take a U-turn. Yeah. I've got a huge lift from that now, and thank you for involving the centre in that, because I said to them all in here, and it's amazing even something like that gives us a lift because we do hear all the heartbreak and hear all the trauma and hear all the despair people have. So somebody's come out like that. It's just yeah. brilliant. I, I often wonder, actually, when I think about you, Mary, you know, th- there must be nights when, that you know, you lose your sleep because of the stuff you get told. There's nights where I kind of feel somebody's in a helpless position or they have no support or no backup and your heart really goes out to them. It really does. Yeah, and I do you know, keep awake sometimes thinking about them and wishing I could do more um, and wishing lots of things. I think that's normal, you know, because you do feel for people because people don't ring in here because it's a nice Friday and they ring in, they ring in because they're despairing and because they can't cope and because they're going through hell right now. So you do think about them, you know, and um, just try and do the best we can for them. But of course, there will be people who stick with you and you'd, you know, see a 14-year-old coming in and you'd save the rest of their life ahead of them and already their school life might have been changed or damaged because of it. And you do feel like, oh, come on, this is just not right, this isn't done. Plus, they all blame themselves for what happened as just an add-on. Mary, you and I have talked many times over the years and pretty much every time we'll be contacted in some way on some platform quickly or it might be a few days from someone who could identify with what we were talking about. And I'm thinking of someone now at this this moment, you've seen them, you've come across them. Someone's sitting at a kitchen table right now with a cup of tea and there's a tear dropping into it because what I've read is is resonating with them. Have you advice? The advice I'd have is to keep the conversation going. I mean, if it happened to you, please ring us. We're working, and we haven't stopped working. We're using Zoom and we're using phone. But please keep the conversation going because what keeps sexual violence down the ladder is kind of if people don't talk about it, if it's hidden. So we need to keep talking about it to make a change. Look at it as the crime it is. Um, and I think that, you know, people who cry, people who are tearful will be very open to hearing somebody's story and then the victim will be very open to kind of telling their story if they feel they'll be understood and listened to. All right, Mary, always great to talk to you. Thank you very much. That's Mary Crilly from the Cork Sexual Violence Centre. Just read that line again. Don't let the rapists and abusers take our futures. They got our bodies without our permission. We cannot let them take our hearts and our minds. A couple of things to do before we uh, finish up today. We've today's a day we've all kind of knew was coming. Um, since I got a phone call on my holidays, I knew this day was coming. We'll mark it in a, in a few minutes. But I want to read this as well. This came in from Tyg Mannix, and it's a nice Friday type message. It says, "Hi PJ, Happy Friday. I'm hoping you can do me a favour this morning and give a big shout out to the best wife, friend, and mother a man could have." 
and do it sometime after nine. Well, we're closer to 12. Her name is Lauren Mannix and she's had to endure so much since this pandemic began back in early March and she's only now beginning to tire a bit from it all with the latest restrictions. So I'd like to know how much we as a family appreciate all she's done and continues to do and tell her, keep the chin up and this will all pass and continue to keep smiling and not let it bother her. Our nine-year-old son got COVID and needed two overnight stays in hospital. Our two-year-old daughter got scarlet fever and needed hospital. She gave birth to our beautiful daughter at home in May as neither of us wanted to go through the birth in the hospital due to the COVID restrictions. A family member of mine passed away due to COVID. She was there for me. Our son had his communion without full family attendance and no friends. Our daughter was christened. Again, no family, no friends. She said to celebrate her own birthday and two of the children's without full family attendance and no friends. So as you can see, Lauren's had to put up with a lot and deserves this shout out as the best wife, mother and friend ever. We all love you so very much. And that is from Tide Mannix. And that's very genuine and very warm. And uh, the cynic in me, <laughs> the cynic in me wonders what Tyke has done wrong. But I don't know. I don't know. But you, <laughs> you're awful. That's so sweet. <laughs> but you, you tried for so long to beat that out of me. <laughs> I thought I had. I was like, this is so lovely, and it is lovely. And fair play to Lauren. And just think of all the people who like life is so complicated, and people are having such complicated times at the moment. And I thought Rachel was really good earlier talking about what was. The word she used um, about that feeling that we all have of this sort I, of the heft we agreed on. I have the other bit, the other one written. The other down, word it was a new it. word to me, but it was just just that exhaustion. Myself and Terry were out in the research room, kind of going, "Yep, that about describes it." So it's it's very strange times. I'll find it. I'll find it. Uh, six years and nearly seven years, Dean. Yeah. Yeah, seven years, bad luck. That's my deserve it. Hey, you said that, not me. No, I'm joking. Um, and you're leaving You're leaving us today. I'm leaving. Today's my last day. Um, I say people are like, is she not gone yet? I've been, I had it in my notice three months ago, so today is the day. Um, and I just want to say thanks to everyone, to you and to Fergal, um, and to our, you always call it a family in 96FM, but I think the family is the listeners, really. Um, it's a long time since our last listener event now in person, and it'll be a long time to the next one, I'd say, but... All the people who did the heel appeal over the years, who come and support the Radiothon, who came to our OBs, who ring us and tweet us and text us and send us in gifts for our children. Um, it's been such a busy six years for me personally and for the show as well. Um, it's it's kind of, I, feel, I do feel a bit like it's the end of an era for me, obviously. Um, but uh, it'll be all changed for you too now with me gone. You'll be able to um, do, do things a bit differently. So it'll be do, nice. Do you know today is also a quite a significant uh, date because today is the day the anniversary three years ago we stayed on air for five hours is that today? Storm Ophelia Storm Ophelia our award winning programme Yes. Yep, my favourite programme ever, five hours of radio and it was hectic and it was crazy but people were very um I think engage with that and that's I suppose for me always that's what we do here is we, we provide a little bit of information a little bit of certainty and a little bit of familiarity in what has been a very crazy couple of years and a little bit of divilment and a little bit of fun as well yeah. um, I think really like this year has just been so bizarre for everyone and will continue to be so um, but I know that when people turn on the radio in the morning and they hear you they know that things are okay Oh, that's nice of you to say. The, the audience, you know, I mean, we've all talked about this. They love you today, they hate you tomorrow, 
Sometimes they change their mind twice in one day. Absolutely. Yeah, someone <laughs> someone texted in earlier to say um, they'll miss my dirty laugh. And I remember the first few <laughs> times I was in air, people rang in to complain about my laugh. <laughs> so if you're listening and you're the person who complained about my laugh, ha ha ha, but this is the last time you have to hear it. <laughs> yeah, and you know, we've had, we've had some memorable days. We've, we've had our rows. Of course we have. We've sure. had our high fives and our fights. Yeah, yeah, but you have to have both, you know. Yeah, that's that's balance. I, I think I'll miss the crack. I will miss the crack. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll miss that. Uh, I'll miss the laugh we have in the morning. And it could start with a row and end, and end with a laugh. But we had to take care of yourself. Thank you. All right. Take care of those two fabulous little boys. Sure, we, we were almost godparents to them all <laughs> in, in here to Oscar and Ferdia. And, and, and tell Brian, by the way, Tell Bouncing Bosco that I have my own Amazon now, so I don't need to hack oh, into his, his anymore. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be delighted. All the Star Trek is his now. <laughs> Good luck at the paper and have fun. Thank you. Cheers, D. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96 FM. I'm told here that today is World Bosses Day and World Food Day all at the one time. There's a breaking story, now RTE are breaking this, but the Irish Daily Mail had it on their front page this morning. And all these people who say, oh, the tabloid newspapers. Well, the Irish Daily Mail had it on the front page this morning. RTE is now reporting that Neffet is advising the government to move the entire country to level five for six weeks. That would be, it's 10 weeks today, lads. 10 weeks today is Christmas Day. So they want to move the entire country to level five for six weeks to try to get some Christmas out of it. That's kind of the the thinking process. I think we should all stop for a moment and say thank you to the junior school children. I think they're all great the way you see them walking down the street with their masks and they don't even have to, but they play their part. That's true. That's true. Lots of people calling us about Ryanair um, to know why are people saying the service will continue running? Thanks to Maureen News who just found the relevant press release. Yes, the, the Ryanair service is out of Cork to Stansted, Gdansk and Katowice are continuing. Everything else is gone for the winter. And we've had a few calls about people now who want to get home from maybe Canary Islands or other such places and are going to have a problem because their Ryanair flight won't run for the winter. That's one going to run and run and run and run and run. Just that story, whether it'll happen or not, we don't know. Neffet saying the whole country should go to level five for six weeks. We'll hear more about that during the day. Before I pack it up, the very best of luck to Deirdre for the future. You'll be missed. Uh, that's Deirdre, the dog groomer from Douglas, sending that one in. So sorry to hear Dee is leaving. What is she going to do next? Best of luck. We'll miss you. That's Claire Middleton. She's off to the examiner. She's off to the examiner. Um, starting on Monday, I think. Real quick transition across. And we have been joined in the last week or so. You've heard us mention him once or twice. We've been joined at the helm of the opinion line by Terry Brennan, uh, who officially takes over. He's been here all week uh, editing the show, but officially takes over on Monday morning. And until then, and of course, thanks always to Dee for, thanks to Dee for everything for the last six and a bit years. And thanks to ace wingman, Fergal Barry, who keeps all the plates spinning in the background. Have a good weekend. Wash your hands. Cover your space. Keep your space. And put on that mat. Hands, face, space. And uh, we'll see you Monday, just after nine.